welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Andrew Schlecht is in the building. And the show today is going to be really fun. It's a little bit of a different style show. After a quick little intro and a quick topic I want to talk about after last night's NBA Finals game, I'm just handing the show over to Schlecht. And we're going to have a great time. I'll take it. I will take Schlecht, it. Schlecht gets to come on. He's going to host. And he's going to be the one that asks questions instead of me. Shit, half the time I don't really ask questions on this show. But, like, yeah. you know, I'm going to let Andrew just, like, bludgeon me with questions about these draft prospects list- for a while. Yeah, I think your listeners will be very excited that you aren't asking me about the draft prospects. So it should be <laughs> it should be this way, and it's going to be very fun. Well, the, the reason that I wanted to do this was I, I specifically asked you about this because I think that the best way to do this is to have somebody that is extremely informed on the NBA draft, which I think is like undeniable that you are extremely informed on what's going on with the NBA draft, but also somebody that is going to be able to like pinpoint specific things, right? Mm-hmm. Because look, you are... I guess like I don't know like you're like above the level of layman like when it comes to the draft so yeah I like I would I would like to think so <laughs> but yeah no I, I think that's right I, I know who all these guys are and I've watched 50 to 100 synergy clips on like the top 30 yeah. and like that's like I, I just have a good feel for who they are do I know every little nook and cranny of who they are like you do no but I do have a good feel for who these guys are. Right. So I think that it's going to be really fun just to hand the show over to you. You're going to ask questions because half the time me and Adam, like I feel like I can get so bogged down in the weeds on shit. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like I talk about this all the time with our like bigger boss, Chris Brow. Um, Chris is really, really good at like centering me and like making me remember like, Oh no, like people don't really care that Kobe Buffkin can finish at the rim at a really high level and like do X, <laughs> Y, and Z, right? They want to know about fucking Victor Wembanyama. Like <laughs> that's they, they, that's who they want to know. Like, He's good at centering Scoot. you back to the to to like the fans that are <laughs> like majority of NBA fans and not like psychopaths like me. Because I'm exactly. very interested in Kobe Bufkin's rim finishing. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, you're you're the King Bufkin boy. You are a Bufkin uh, believer, and that's right. that's right. It's really exciting. It's really exciting to be able to do yeah. this. And I'm sure we will talk about Kobe Bufkin later on because you oh, yeah. love Kobe, and I feel like there's no way you didn't set up questions about Kobe for this thing. Oh yeah, definitely. We're definitely talking Bufkin. No question. So before we get to Kobe and to, I guess, all the other prospects that aren't Kobe Bufkin, there's a thing I wanted to talk to you first about that kind of came up while I was watching the NBA Finals last night. And then I started getting like text messages. I, I got like, I think it was like two or three like high level decision makers. And then like another executive hit me while Christian Brown was going off in the NBA Finals. Because mm-hmm. people know that I was like across the league. People know that I was like very high on Christian Brown. I think I had him higher than anybody in the public sphere and then ended up with him like three or four spots. I forget what I said yesterday on the podcast when I actually looked it up, like three or four spots lower than Oshai Agbaji when Agbaji the whole time was considered this like super high level prospect in a different like tier than Christian Brown and 
I, I just didn't really believe that to an extent. Yeah. So sure. People started hitting me and asking me like, well, okay, Christian Brown is here. He's making like a very clear impact in the finals. Is there a value to drafting older at this point? And then my gears started turning and trying to figure these things out. And then I would go back to them and say, actually, I think there might be in the new collective bargaining agreement, given how valuable being able to get rookie scale production is going to be. Sure. With how difficult it is to add to your team via the trade market or via free agency after a certain point, if you hit like the second level of the tax apron, right? Yeah. Yeah. You need somebody that's like has the chance to be above a minimum type of player on your roster that's making about that money. And that's what you can right. do with like a late first round pick or second round picks are going to be crazy valuable. <laughs> I think going forward, if you can nail a second round pick, it's yeah. going to be amazing. Um, but I think the points taken in the first round is two, first round too. And, and I do really wonder if we see, so that, that leads to a couple more questions now that like after getting those kind of text messages, like kind of mm-hmm. jogged my brain a little bit in terms of yeah. the way that, you know, th- this part of it like isn't, being asked questions by like GMs or like talking to people about this or anything. This is just me like kind of thinking about this a little bit more now. And I wonder if this leads to guys like Ben Shepard or Kobe Brown or Omax Mm -hmm. Prosper Mm -hmm. or Andre Jackson or Colby Jones or Marcus Sasser. Yeah. Jaime Hawkes. Jaime Hawkes going a little bit higher on draft night. And then the project E guys like Rayon Repair, Julian Phillips, Jordan Walsh, um, you know, James Najee's kind of a different deal because he's a stash player, but like, or could be sure. a stash player. Sissoko, even though he's kind of falling already, but. Yeah. Yeah. CD Sissoko. Um, honestly, like even some of these like freshmen, like Keontae George, Nick Smith, Jet Howard, Dariq Whitehead, Bryce Sensabaugh, like Clintman, Bobby Clintman. Do some of these older players end up going higher than some of those younger guys when like all year on mock drafts? It's been, you know, consensus that. Oh, like these young freshmen are in a different tier. You know, it's totally different ball game. And and to be honest with you, like they aren't really in a different tier for me and like just kind of haven't been like I've already filed like like the draft guide and like I've done some like subtle adjustments in terms of rankings and stuff. But like I've had like, you know, Ben Shepard, Colby Jones, um, Jaime Hawkes, Omax Prosper, et cetera, et cetera. In the same tier is Jed Howard, Keontae George, Nick Smith, you know, etc. for mm-hmm. a while now. So yeah. I, I don't know, like I'm just kind of saying words. What are, when I say all of these things, like, does this, is this like a potential theory that we could see play out like moving forward? I think it's possible. However, even though players are older and maybe you can project them a little bit, it doesn't always mean they're good. 
That's you know, <laughs> and so I just think about Jacob Evans, who was drafted by the Warriors years ago. And by by the way, I really like Jacob Evans. I was very I, wrong I, when they got him. <laughs> I thought, and as somebody that was following the Thunder as like purely a fan at the time, I was just like, I was mad that they got him. <laughs> You yeah. know, and so and a lot of people are sitting at home like, what are you talking about, you psycho? Like, who's Jacob Evans? He looked like somebody that was just ready to go. That was ready to play. And the truth was, he was never going to play in the NBA. Like, it just wasn't going to work. And so I think to an extent, this could be true. I think about last year's draft. So who's outside of Christian Brown? Who else would have moved up? And like, even how far should Christian Brown have moved up? Like what team should have taken him? Like maybe the Bulls at 18 are a team that makes sense. But then you, or and I still like the Hawks taking AJ Griffin. I still like that, even though he's like two years right. younger. Um, so I, I still think it's going to be about taking the players that are the best. And typically the best players are the younger guys for the most part. Um, mean, Andrew, like we're way, you're way overthinking this specifically. Like yeah. Jalen Williams is an example. Jalen Williams. Yes, it's true. 21 years old. Well, both, he was a junior. Jalen Williams is there an example of this. Both of Yeah, true. Yeah. 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 Even the Jay will, the he's actually younger than, than Jada by like almost two years, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah he yeah. He's one specifically and like Christian Coloco, I think was a little older too yeah, like you yeah he's you, one that i think wonder is more limited but you're right yeah keegan murray somebody is that example of this for what it's worth how much higher could keegan murray have gone though he couldn't have gone higher but like drafting older is a good yeah is yeah. like someone who's older um sure andrew nemhard is one walker kessler yeah. is like i think he was like 20 he wasn't like you know a unpolished freshman let's go with entering the draft early necessarily yeah uh, but I was going to say, but people weren't wrong about Kessler because of his age, were they? No, it was just limitation at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Tari Eason it was a certainly like a very, maybe, maybe the better phrase is like player that has already been productive in college basketball as opposed mm-hmm. to like pure full scale project, right? Because like Tari Eason, yeah. Christian Brown, Andrew Nemhard, uh, you know, these guys ended up being pretty good picks at the end of the day. I actually think that yeah. in the 2022 draft, more of those guys hit so far than didn't hit. Like yeah. Johnny Davis is like the prime example of someone who it seems like is not going to hit, but yeah. then like Jake LaRavia, I still like kind of am okay with Jake LaRavia, but yeah. I don't think it's like unfair to say that, Hey, this guy did not play uh, all that well, but you know, who did, the guy that they weigh heavily reached on, in my opinion, David Roddy. David Roddy, so, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, is there is there a blend of like productive age that you can project just stepping into a role from day one? Like, does that become a little bit more valuable, even if the upside might be a little bit more muted? I think this is probably just comes down to draft philosophy for each team. I think there are probably yeah. teams that have thought this way for a long time. That just yeah. they just think like, hey, we're drafting production. I'm not going to go with the mystery box. And then you have teams that are willing to, like you were talking about, gamble. You know, in order to hit at the highest of highs, you're going to have to gamble at some level. 
Yeah. You know, I think it just comes down to philosophy. I think a team like the Thunder, we've seen that they're way more willing to gamble and way more willing to take losses when they need to. But yep. they're also willing to, you know, when they do connect, it's like, wow, you know, years ago, it was Serge Ibaka that they, it connected really well for them. Yep. And they got a guy in the 20s that became a staple for their team. And so I think it, I think just team philosophies probably won't change because of, the CBA, but you could see guys maybe go a few spots higher. Like maybe Dalen Terry doesn't go to the Bulls. Yeah. You know, like something that might be altered from last year is like maybe they decide to be the Christian Brown destination instead and go that yeah. way. So yeah, I think it's probably then- like maybe like one or two slots that are changed because of this type of thinking, but I don't think it's going to change the like change the draft by any stretch. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good way to put it. I just wonder if some of the, and it only changes the end of or like the bottom, you know, 12 picks of the first round, right? We're mm-hmm. not talking about these guys that are, you know, potential lottery picks in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. I think we are frankly kind of talking about guys like Keontae George and Jet Howard and Nick Smith mm-hmm. who like are quite flawed mm-hmm. weren't frankly all that good as freshmen if you like really dive in like Keontae was like you know box score productive uh you know Nick Smith was not productive Jed Howard shot really well I think is reasonable to say yeah but yeah I don't know Uh, that these are the things that like I was yeah like that kind of just ran through my mind I was talking about this by the way I shot this theory by a good friend of the program John Hollinger and mm-hmm. John's reaction was immediately what your initial one was. Um, you know, you know, I'm kind of sharing something he told me privately, but I don't think he would mind me doing this. Um, you know, he basically just said like drafting old hasn't really worked previously. Yeah. He did mention mm-hmm. though, something that I do think is interesting. Does the influx of NIL money lead to, more older players staying in the draft longer or staying in college longer, which means there's just a greater talent pool in the college sphere. I think that's actually an interesting concept. Yeah. Yeah, it should. It should. And and maybe that helps you identify these guys a little bit easier too, theoretically, because maybe you get better players that stay a couple years and then there you can just more easily identify them. You know, like if Isaac Okoro stayed another year at Auburn because he got a bunch of NIL money, maybe he doesn't go. <laughs> maybe it's not good for him. But I think NBA teams may have been able to better identify what kind of player he was going to be. Um, maybe same for Pat Williams, although like his injury history has not been kind to him. But still, like yeah. players like that, you know, where there's like a mystery behind them of what they could be. You know, some guys, it be, some guys, it could be really good for. You know, like if even if like Halliburton or Devin Vassell or somebody from that class stayed like those guys, if you just got to see a little bit more of them, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Those guys should be top eight or whatever. No, I think that's really, really probably true to be honest. And it's like the guys to me that like, I think it is your, you know, Christian Brown stayed, you know, Christian Brown theoretically could have left after his sophomore year. He was like a pretty reasonable, good rotation player uh, Mm -hmm. in Kansas and had interests. Like I, I, talked to an agent last night representing a player that you know is in the christian brown range of the draft let's say and he was like yeah i think like christian brown is like helping my client tonight 
right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was like, honestly, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. what he's doing is pretty valuable and shows that like you can come in and play immediately and be yeah. useful. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, th- I think teams will continue to miss on older players. I think it will continue to happen. Yeah. Like Jalen Brunson went 33rd in the draft. People missed on him because he was small. He was a little older. Desmond you know, Bain those- as well. Desmond Bain and the and the couple classes later, like there's just going to be guys that every team goofs on, you know, and somebody yeah. just picks them up at the end of the draft. But yeah, I think it could shift things slightly. But yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. And then I'm sliding over the controls to Andrew, folks. Yeah. It's happening. Andrew gets to Let's Andrew gets to host the show. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht, taking the controls of the podcast. We're going to go through prospects. We're going to go from the top. We're going to go down. We'll, just, we'll get through as many prospects as we can as to what feels reasonable. But I'm going to ask you just about weaknesses. It's like why you either are going to talk me out of why I feel nervous about a certain aspect of a player or um, tell me why it's valid. Okay, so we'll start with Victor Wimbanyama. Obviously, this is he looks like a video game created player when you're watching him. He's ridiculous. Everything is awesome about him. But what would you say to people that say, hey, he's seven foot five? Seven foot five guys have durability issues. What would you say about his durability issues overall? So I, I guess I would say that anybody who is seven foot five, it does not bother me to bring up the idea of these guys potentially getting hurt. Mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, Victor Wembanyama has previously dealt with injuries. He stayed completely healthy this year. I yeah. think in part, and it's speculative based on the part of NBA teams that part of why when Binyama was able to stay so healthy this season is because he played once a week with Metropolitans or once every, yeah. you know, five to six days or whatever it was, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to playing with Osvel the year before where they were playing both Euro league and French league. Uh, so in December to 2020, he suffered a stress, stress fracture in his leg, November, 2021 suffered a broken finger uh December 2021, he had a right shoulder blade bone bruise that forced him to miss a month. Uh, in June 2022, he suffered like a muscle injury, like in his core area, if I remember correctly, mm. that forced him to miss like the rest of the French playoffs. So these things have come up with him previously. I don't think it makes him injury prone by any stretch, but I do think that there is it's at least worth mentioning it doesn't change him being the number one overall pick in this 2023 nba draft by any stretch yeah yeah but uh, if people want to bring that up i don't have an issue with that I, I don't think that's an unfair question yeah no i i think it makes sense to touch upon it but also just say hey 
this is a ridiculous prospect <laughs> that has to be taken number one. <laughs> so oh, please, we, I, I refuse to talk any more about it. We're going to move on to yeah. Scoot Henderson. And I guess my question with Scoot is, will his size and possible inefficiency with scoring the basketball hinder him from being a star? In terms of being a star, no. I don't think it will. Okay. I think that there are some inherent limitations smaller players present in the playoffs. Now, he is someone that I think particularly is pretty well suited to be able to overcome those inherent limitations. In my opinion, the inherent limitations that smaller NBA players tend to face are strength-based and length-based, right? Yeah. Well, Scoot Henderson is built like a fucking Mack truck <laughs> and has a six foot nine wingspan uh, yeah. for a guard. I, I would guess that his standing reach is probably in like the eight foot three ish range. Yeah. Something eight foot four, which is small to be certain, but like Christian Brown's standing reach is like eight four, if I remember correctly. Sure. Uh, there, there are ways to get around that. I think Scoot mm-hmm. is so strong and physically stout through his lower half and core that Unless you're like Luca, you're not going to just like bury him on the block, right? Mm-hmm. Or unless you're Nikola Jokic and you get a peel switch uh, against Scoot, you're not sure. just going to bury him, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I don't think Paul George would be able to bury him on the block in the middle. Okay. Hmm. Uh, as good as Paul George is, like, Paul George just has like a higher center of gravity. And I think yeah. that Scoot would be able to like push him out. Right. Yeah. I do think that there are real questions in terms of like specific matchups that he could be presented with in the playoffs that could cause him issues. Like if he gets drafted to Portland and they just continue to run into like the Luka Doncic led Dallas Mavericks and he's just hammering switches constantly. Mm-hmm. Okay, like that that could be a specific matchup based problem. But I don't think that if you are the Portland Trailblazers or Charlotte Hornets for that regard, in my opinion, I would take him if I was Charlotte. Yeah. I don't think you can look at specific matchups. I think you need to look at this guy's really fucking good and just take him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I didn't answer anything to... about the efficiency, did I? Well, I mean, what do you what do you think about his his shooting? Overall. I think it's yeah, I think it's way overblown in terms okay. of the shooting issue. Yeah. In part it's because people in the draft media sphere keep trotting out this number that he's a 27% three-point shooter. Yeah. And he's not. He shot 32% from 3 this year. Like that that actually happened. Uh yeah. if you know how to read the G League stats, he actually shot 32% from 3. Uh, mm-hmm. This is not me like trying to come up with a number. Genuinely, if you look at all of the games, including the showcase games, which are also regular season games in the G League, he shot 32% from three. Yeah. Particularly as well, if you look at the numbers in terms of what happened with him, if he, or after, I guess is the way to put it, after he hurt his ankle the numbers i'm like trying to pull them up right now 
So he injured his ankle on January 17th. Before then, he was shooting 35% from three. After that, he shot 28% from three. Before that, he shot 40% between eight and 20 feet. After Mm -hmm. that, he shot 33% between eight and 20 feet. Hmm. I think that people are getting a little bit too bogged down in the percentages and not recognizing that he's actually just got like a very comfortable mid-range game. He's super polished getting into that area and pulling up. And some of those end up being high degree of difficulty shots. And then the defense, the shooting from three needs to improve. I will absolutely not begrudge anybody for saying otherwise. I think it needs to get better, but I think the base is already there for it to get better. Yeah. I saw him play in person a couple times here in OKC against the blue. Yeah. And he, he was so interesting in one of the games because he just kind of hung back for mm-hmm. three, three and a half quarters and just kind of let the ignite do their thing. And then he was like, okay, this is over. And he took the ball and I think he scored on like six consecutive possessions in six yeah. different ways. And it was just like, we're done here. Like this, it's well, I'm going to kill you. It's over. That That's the other thing too, that like annoys me a little bit. I think that the people who don't get how good scoot is are the people that like, didn't go to games or like, didn't watch full G league games. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, Scoot this year really did kind of keep it in neutral at times because the goal for him was not to win basketball games. Like Victor Wembanyama is competing for something right now. Yeah. He is competing yeah, yeah. for the French League championship. The G League Ignite program is expressly uh, exists in order for these kids to get drafted high. Yeah. Scoot Henderson is going to get drafted high no matter what the fuck he does this year mission accomplished like yeah day one this year and you could kind of see it because he he was not giving it his all and definitely like in person you watch him like oh like this guy's built like he's insane yeah and then but but he can go get he can go get buckets i mean he made it look really easy there was for most of the game i was like wait where is he like what's going on here like that's good henderson and then he just erupts and you're like oh Okay, I see it. I see yeah. why. And I and I agree with you. I think Charlotte should take him. I think the thought of picking somebody uh, for fit at two is the is the silliest thing ever. Just don't yeah. don't ever do that. Just take the guy you think you agree. who's going to be the best. Um, let's talk about Brandon Miller first. I just there's a lot of conflicting information, and I don't even know if you can speak to any of this, but just the whole issue with the charges that were on his friends, that he was just kind of a part of this whole ordeal. How much is that weighing on teams? If at all, I think teams certainly want to try and gather more information. And I think that the teams at the top of the draft, you know, certainly are like, I know that John Cavoni reported that Charlotte has like sent someone down to Tuscaloosa in order to like try and do Intel and like learn more about this if they can. I think that they really do want to know more. Yeah. I think that if nothing changes in regard to like the material information that they know, it won't impact him in terms of where he's drafted. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's maybe the easiest way to say it 
because yeah. he is a cooperating witness. Uh, he is not a, and this is all according to um, the, like the Tuscaloosa police department and everything. Uh, he's a cooperating witness. He is not someone that is considered a suspect in this crime. Yeah. Uh, not crime. I'm sorry. Alec in this shooting uh, that occurred, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certainly I don't want to, um, get sued on the podcast because this I was going to say not, this, is, this is not yet a murder. Something that we're good at talking about. Obviously. Yeah. Well, like, look, yeah. I, I've gotten typically I've gotten okay at talking about this because I've had to do it so much now. Um, yeah. It's but, just touchy though. It's just, and it it's, is. and it's something that you never want to have to talk about with a prospect. And I, I just, in particular, I just, I don't know. I just wonder if Charlotte, they, they've just had so many issues with not with several players on their roster that have had just issues with the law. And so I just, yeah. So, so so part of this is that all of the Intel on Brandon Miller before this incident happened was fine. It was was all like good. And like, he's, he's not like, I don't, I, my impression is that he is not a bad kid. I'm, I I don't know Brandon Miller. I have not like talked to him at all. So I I can't Mm -hmm. like answer this, but my impression is that NBA teams, certainly did not view him as like a bad kid certainly did not view him as any sort of like Intel based question mark. Um, So yeah, I think that that's, that's worth noting here and why I think they're a little bit more willing to look at this with a, with an eye toward what his role was trying to understand his role as opposed to like outright dismissing it maybe. Yeah. Okay. How does Brandon Miller become an NBA All-Star? What does that look like? Yeah, he has to finish. Uh, he has to finish at the rim, point blank. Yeah. Th- this is why I actually ended up with him a touch lower than where other people are on mm-hmm. him. I- I'm quite worried about Brandon Miller's finishing at the basket. And he got much better this season throughout the course of the season. And I think that's really important is we're trying to understand guys who are going to show like real tangible growth. One thing I really like to look for is how they (laughs) process coaching and how they like clearly work through their weaknesses through a season. This is honestly why I'm so high on Leonard Miller. I think the way Leonard Miller processes information and coaching is really, really positive. Hmm. And you could see it in the way that he grew from the beginning to the end of the season. Brandon Miller got much better on this over the course of the beginning to the end of the season. Here's the problem. What do you, I'll I'll ask you this trivia time for Andrew select, even though I know that (laughs) you're hosting now, what do you think Brandon Miller shot in half court settings this year at the basket? At the basket. Oh gosh, this this makes me think it's low. Um, thirty six percent. I don't know. Yeah, no. So you even went lower than uh, what is normal. Uh, it, it's yeah. not that low. It's like thirty nine point five percent. That's really bad. I I, sh- I was gonna say somewhere in the forties, but then my brain said go lower, and I did. But yeah, that's that's not great. It's actually like egregiously low for someone who is this level of prospect. So I went back and looked at like other high end wing creators, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks that like Jason Tatum, like had no game at the rim when he was at Duke. Like he was just like a mid range Maven. Uh, He shot 60% at the basket at Duke. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Brandon Ingram was at 53.2. 
Chris Middleton was at 55% at the rim. Okay. The closest really is Jalen Brown. Mm -hmm. But here's the problem comparing Jalen Brown to Brandon Miller in this case. A, uh, I believe Jalen was like a year younger. B, Jalen is like a total freak show athlete in comparison to Brandon, who's just like not that. C, Jalen Brown played in genuinely the worst spaced offense I have ever watched in my entire life (laughs) on Cal uh, that season coming into the draft. He was playing next to Ivan Rab and Kingsley Okoro. Yeah. And how do I remember the name Kingsley Okoro? <laughs> it's because of his impact on Jalen Brown's draft stock, potentially. <laughs> I remember maybe it was Hollinger that was just talking about how nobody has ever had his statistical profile that was taken in the top 10 or something like that ever, just with yeah. how bad it was. Yeah, it was crazy. It was genuinely yeah. crazy. His point guard was Tyrone Wallace. Tyrone Wallace shot twenty nine point eight percent from three. Ivan wow. Rab had shot two three pointers the entire season. Um, Cameron Rooks and Kingsley Okoro at the center position shot zero threes the entire season. Uh, Steven Domingo played minutes. He shot 30% from three. Sam Singer was like supposed to be there like six, four, like kind of gunner off the bench. He shot 27% from three. They had Jabari bird who shot 40% and Jordan Matthews who shot 41%. But no matter what happened during those games, Jalen Brown was driving into two bodies at the basket. Cause <laughs> Ivan Rab and Kingsley Okoro or Cameron Brooks were right there. Every time. And, he and his no handle chance. was much worse than it is now. Yes. And his handle was not good enough. Everything like that. So yeah. the Alabama offense on the other end, I think it's a little bit sneaky how a, the Alabama offense is well-regarded for its spacing in general. Alabama's offense, you know, threes and layups. That's their whole goal. Yeah. But they always had Charles Bidiaco with him on the court, who was their defensive centerpiece. He's in this 2023 NBA draft. Can't do anything outside of four feet. And then they also had Noah Clowney on the court with him. And by the, at the beginning of the season, especially teams were letting Noah Clowney shoot from three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a crowd. Like, I, I think there was more of a crowd on the interior than maybe what people recognized from Brandon Miller. Yeah, But like that offense is so well-spaced in terms of where its players are positioned that it's just a little bit different in terms of the context of the situation. Brandon Miller being below the Jalen Brown line in terms of finishing is like quite scary, I think. How different is he than Jabari Smith and who would go higher in this draft, him or Jabari Smith? I think he would go higher than Jabari. And the reason that I think he'd go higher is because of the handle and passing. Uh, Yeah. I do think that Jabari is a, I know that this didn't bear itself out this year. I Mm. thought that Jabari was a better shooting prospect last year than what Brandon Miller is. But I think Brandon is just much more of like that, like that, like predator wing that's going to hunt mismatches and like try and string out bigs and do stuff like that. He can actually do that. Like he has real flexibility through his hips. He has real ball handling ability in terms of like stringing guys out and being able to control and ball screens. So 
I think Brandon Miller would have gone higher. Okay. I'm going to separate the Thompson twins so that we can talk about them separately so that people can know who we're talking about. So we're going to make a Cam Whitmore sandwich and we're going to start with Amen Thompson. How does a player that projects as such a bad shooter become an all-star level player in the NBA today? And can it happen? He has to be Russell Westbrook. Would Russell Westbrook be Russell Westbrook in today's NBA? Yes, I think he would be. Uh, I genuinely think he would be because Russell Westbrook was so good at just putting like force on the rim essentially also putting- also does a men thompson have because what russ has is to say that russ has that dog in him is is not even fair yeah. to the level of the like fire that exists within this man like yeah. he wants to destroy everybody all the time and is driven by that and not only does he want to kill the person right in front of him on the court barry trammell of the oklahoman is a dead man in the press conference <laughs> afterwards too like how much of that does a men Thompson have in him? Because that is just the way that he functioned. And it was funny because Russ functioned that way from game one to the end of the season. And then yeah. genuinely at exit interviews, he was a delight uh, preseason stuff. He's a delight. But then like when, when the clock starts, it's the entire season of just, just this like burning inside of him. Like does, does Amen Thompson have any of that in him? Doesn't have so like Amen Thompson. Uh, the intel on the Thompson twins is fantastic. First and foremost, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that they have that. Uh, just because okay. I, I think that like it's probably fair to say they probably don't have that. If only yeah. because Russ is a one of one on some level in that regard, right? Like I would say even LeBron James doesn't have that, right? Sure. Like yeah. Russ is, I just think un- it took that level for Russ to get to like superstar MVP, all of that. Like it just took that drive to get him there. Yeah. And this to me is the difference. If I could project you that I'm Thompson was going to be the number one, was going to be like Russell Westbrook. He'd be the number two pick in this draft. Like unquestionable. Okay. Yeah. The two differences here are, I think that from a functional strength standpoint, Russell Westbrook gets way underrated. Like, oh. Russ is a fucking brick house. That dude is strong as hell. Like he is just going to bully you. He is going to try and go into contact every time he's going to plow through and he's just going to go right. Yep. He has that low center of gravity. He has those enormous shoulders. The top the Thompson's actually like a men Thompson particularly, I think has a chance to have like some like really good, like strong physical shoulders um, as a driver, but they don't have that center of gravity being lower. Right, which yeah. I think is going to hurt them moving up levels. Mm-hmm. The second thing that Russ had that was a little bit different is he had the counter in the mid range. Yep. Mm-hmm. The thing that yeah, the worries con- me the most, shot. yep, yeah. The thing that worries me most about Amen Thompson is actually not the three point shooting; it's the lack of counter that he currently has in the mid range. Mm. Uh, I know that like three point shooting is sexy and like it's cool. But he doesn't actually need it. He needs, he is going to pressure the paint so well that it's not going to matter on some level. Sure. He needs to be able to stop and pop like John Morant has with the floater, right? He needs to be able to like stop, maybe get a floater, stop, maybe shoot a mid range jumper. 
He needs the counter, in my opinion, off the dribble. And that's what he doesn't have right now. And that's why yeah. I think his floor is actually a little bit lower than what people think. Uh, even mm-hmm. if the ceiling, like if he develops that counter, is like immensely high. Yeah. I mean, Russell Westbrook's top 50 player of all time. Like, It's a ridiculous ask for him yeah. to be that good, certainly. Uh, why is he different than what Ben Simmons was and Ben Simmons was good? athleticism and twitch first and foremost ben was a power athlete is like a six foot ten you know point guard essentially uh i yeah. think a man is similarly going to drive transition play at an exceptionally high level here's the other thing ben simmons was an all nba player like he was an all nba player people absolutely forget that hashtag people forget uh yep Ben Simmons was incredible until he got paid and until the back injuries started to flare up and mm-hmm. everything like that. So yeah, I think the Thompsons are, I just trust them as human beings at a high level. Yeah. Um, and I believe in the humans to like, not sit on their laurels and like, you know, not like get better at certain things within their game. Mm-hmm. They're going to try like, Having said that, like here's the other thing. So Robert Canfield, I see in the YouTube comments. I was gonna, I was asked, gonna ask you this. I was gonna bring it up. Can a men play with Cade and Ivy? And my answer is yes, in theory, and I'll explain how in a second. My question is like, I don't know if he wants to. This, yeah. this isn't like me having intel on that front. It's more like there are two routes to making this work. If you're the Pistons and you want a men Thompson, the first route is. Well, you could play him on ball and you could take the ball out of Cade Cunningham's hands more often. I love Amen Thompson. That seems like a bad idea to me, right? Not only seems, I think that is a bad idea straight up. Yeah. The other option is that you could essentially utilize him as like a supercharged Gary Payton II who like flies around and is like setting screens and like doing all this crazy stuff. And yeah. that's why I bring up, like, I don't know if he would want to do that. Yeah. It's, it's not a, it's not a question of his character or anything like that. It, it's just genuinely it's like, cool, I don't know if he'd want to be that guy. Yeah. It's a question of getting paid. Yeah. 100%. Those guys don't get paid like that. No. I mean, so, it, his, his people would be like, Hey, what are you doing? Even if he did, if he came in and he was like super Andre Iguodala for the, for the Pistons and he had them winning games, but he was like their fourth best player because he decided to take a reduced role. Well, fourth best players get paid like fourth best players. And so you just don't want to do that. And he wouldn't do that. And he shouldn't do that. Um, Okay, let's move on. I I will say, I don't know if he wouldn't do that. I don't know that he wouldn't do that. Uh, I'm telling you, these are both like really good kids. Hmm. It's uh, He shouldn't want to do that, though. And he shouldn't be asked to do that. He should not want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, Okay, Cam Whitmore. Uh, how worried should I be with that he passed seven times the entire college season? <laughs> I think you might have overestimated. Um, <laughs> <laughs> extremely, I think. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if extremely is fair, but I, I'm worried about it for sure. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Like the assist rate is historically low. For- it's bad you know, a potential top 10 pick. And it's not just the assist rate. It's 
he catches and surveys. That's what he does. Like yeah. he stops the ball when he catches. Like he's catching. He might jab step. He might oh, try and rip baseline. He might try and like, you know, string out somebody and try and isolate like with four or five dribbles, like dance a little bit with it. But like he, he's not keeping that thing moving along the chain. No. Like it's just not happening. Um, the big question is how much of this was the mess at Villanova and him missing an early part of the season yeah. versus like him just not having vision. If you watch the mm-hmm. McDonald's game, like he had like five assists in that game. If you watch, I think Jordan brand, I think he might have four assists in that game. You go back, mm-hmm. you watch the team USA stuff. I think he averaged like two, two and a half assists in that sample. So have, like, have you been more helped or more burned by McDonald's games? Oh, absolutely burned. I mean, yeah. you, you can't you can't judge those for shit. Yeah, in my same. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, 100%. But I do think that it's a real worry is what I would answer. Yeah. It's a real yeah. concern. Having said that, I still really like Cam Whitmore. And you yeah. better believe I have him in the same tier as Brandon Miller and Amen Thompson. Would you take him... Or Brandon Miller? Um, I, like, it would be somewhat situational, but... In what I situation had... would you take Cam Whitmore over Brandon Miller? How about that? In what situation? With what team? If, if a particular team had a, the choice of those Houston. two. Okay. If I'm getting... Uh, maybe not, because they have Jalen Green already, and they have Jabari Smith. That'd be very ball-stoppery. I probably yeah, would take would. Brandon Miller if I, was, I actually think I would take Brandon Miller if I was Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a great question. Hmm, probably. Well, Orlando gets a lot of rim pressure as well. Indy. Uh, Indiana has Ben Matherin, and that's like a lot of ball stopping Ben as well. Yes. Probably Washington. I yeah, it's like if Washington found a way to trade up to three or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think there's a case for Detroit taking him over Brandon Miller, to be honest. Like, okay. I think that Detroit, you know, having him as like a rim pressure guy along with Jaden Ivey next to Cade mm-hmm. Cunningham, like, I think that would actually really work, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of his, his, is his handle good enough? to be the the ball has reached its final destination with me and I'm going to take you guys to the promised land. Not right now, but I think there are enough building blocks for it to get there at some point. Okay. Like he's not like a Jalen Brown ball handler right now. Yeah. He's like entering the league Jalen Brown ball handler. He has like real shake. Mm-hmm. He is like very stiff hips. Like his hips aren't mm-hmm. very flexible in my opinion, but mm-hmm. He has real shake with the ball. He has like creative crossovers. He's very wide crossovers, which create like high level separation. So, but while like not having it be like wildly loose. So I would say not yet good enough, but will be able to be an impact player. I think from day one, because he is, I think one thing that gets way underrated about him, he's not just like a above average, like good athlete. I think he enters the league as like a top like three percent athlete in the NBA. Like he he's, he's top he's fifteen insane. athlete in the NBA from day one. Yeah, 
there's going to be some crazy highlights, no matter where he goes, yeah. of Cam Whitmore. And it, he's absolutely sick. It's filthy. Yeah. Um, uh, let's go to the other side of the sandwich. Talk about Asar Thompson. One of my biggest problem with him is I just don't know if it's Asar or Asar. Um, my second <laughs> problem with him is, does he do, outside of him being a, a really good athlete, is there anything that he's great at? Or you think he will be great at at the NBA level? I think for a wing, he is a great passer. Like I, okay. I think the way he sees the court and his overall vision. Like I, I do genuinely think like as a secondary ball handler that's like making quick reads and everything. I think he is very, very good at that. Yeah. Um and that that's why to me, like you mentioned the name Andre Guadala for a man earlier. I, yeah. I think that like that's the Asar role. Like if I was Asar, yeah. I would be trying to be that guy. Um, yeah, you know, not Paul George, not you know any number of you know longer wings who theoretically are shot creators. I think he should try and be Andre Iguodala, uh, yeah. be like an all defense guy who's a great passer, can run the show on offense occasionally. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, and that's why I think that he's if the Thunder found some way to trade up. Like he fits like a lot of thundery aspects in the passing, like being one of the number one things about him when I have my yeah. thunder brain on. So yeah. Yeah. I think also he's, like he's super high character again, which is something they really care yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. 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 I think it's interesting. Yeah. I like him a lot. Uh, let's go to Jairus Walker R- real quick. I just, I do just want to note on Asar before we move on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm worried about the half court scoring. I think more than other people are. Okay. Um, how is he, he, how is he as a, as a cutter? How is he good? cutter? Yeah. Shots. Really good cutter. Really good transition okay. player. It's creating everything else. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what position does Jairus Walker play in the NBA? Yeah. So this is the thing that I keep coming back to as well with Jairus. I think his upside is high enough to be able to play across the wings defensively. Mm-hmm. to where I'm comfortable with him in like the six to nine range or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's like a pretty real case for like Detroit to take him. If Cam Whitmore is off the uh, board. Sure. You are who you can guard at the end of the day in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I think Jarris yep. can absolutely guard three through five. No problems asked. Uh, yeah. He is so physical. He is so physical that I think it's going to be hard by the time he's like 25 for bigs to get through him. Now, the real question is like, by the time he's 25, does he still have this mobility? Like he is mm-hmm. like a pretty thick frame. Yeah. He does. If he still maintains the mobility while also improving the skill level, there's, there are some like non, there are some like all starry outcomes there, I think with him uh but for the most part i think he's just like a super high level winning guy um Mm -hmm. you know it's i hate comparing guys to draymond green because i think it's just a patently absurd uh person to be because i think draymond green's feel for the game and his basketball iq is basically one of the 10 best ever i don't know let's throw 
throw that out there like 10 best you could make a case it might be top five ever i think mm-hmm. a guy with that yeah. those tools should not be as good as he is but he thinks and processes the game so fast that he's able to yeah i think jaris has some of that he doesn't have all of it but like his natural mm-hmm. reactivity and like his overall mobility and his overall uh feel for the game defensively in terms of the way he rotates and reacts and scrambles I think it's really, really high level. Yeah. Yeah. Defensively, I have zero questions about what yeah. he can do. Offensively, why doesn't he put people in the rim more? Yeah. It, so, like, part of it is that, like, it just wasn't the role at Houston. Like, okay. they ran him more as, like, a short role big, but also he needs to just fucking put people in the basket. Like, he's so strong dude's a beast like go do it man mm-hmm. i agree with that like that is a real criticism that i think is completely reasonable to be levied uh i i don't know totally how he scores uh in the half court right now is what worries yeah. me most um like he doesn't finish well. Like he made 62% of his shots at the basket for Houston, but like he only got there one and a half times per game in half court settings. That's crazy mm-hmm. low mm-hmm. per synergy. Like that is an insanely low number. He loves to settle for yeah. that floater. Like, Oh, I hate the floater. There's too much spin moves. It's just like, man, like you could, like you're 250. Just, just get there. Like you were stronger than almost everybody on the court. It's kind of how this- I felt watching him. Yeah, and like this, this could be like a spacing issue. I think that's worth noting. Like, sure, Houston spacing was not not awesome. Let's go with like they had Marcus Sasser uh, shooting threes, but no other player on their roster shot thirty five percent from three. Jarris was yeah. actually like the highest mm-hmm. among their other rotation players. You know, shooting thirty five percent from three. Jamal Shedd shot thirty one. Tremont Mark shot shot thirty two. Terrence Arsenault twenty five. Jaywan Roberts shot zero. Uh, Javier Francis shot zero. Uh, Reggie Chaney shot zero. Like (laughs) there was never a ton of space for him to be able to get where he wants to Mm -hmm. or he wanted to. So like maybe you can make a case that like he's able to get downhill a little bit better in the NBA. But I'll tell Mm -hmm. you this, like that's what people, that's the case people made about uh, DeAndre Ayton including myself and mm-hmm. that hasn't really mm-hmm. worked out. So, yeah. Do you think he gets past Indy? Could he could, I, I think like he's very much an option for Indy. If he gets past Indy, what's the next landing spot for him? I, I, look, we have no idea what Washington's going to do just straight up. Cause they're a new front office. Um, yeah. So I think that's like a total possibility. Like if they're going to okay. resign Kristaps, I mean, Jarris is like a perfect Kristaps. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I would be, I think I would be a little bit surprised if he got past Utah. Um, yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Like okay. I, I think Utah would make a lot of sense for him too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Black. Yep. Obviously great defender. Awesome passer processor of the game. Does the slow shot and inability to like be a high level shooter matter 
that much for him? Or is he just going to be able to do his thing in the NBA anyways? It matters for sure in the same way that it mattered, that it continues to matter for Josh Giddy, right? Okay. Um, Josh improved a lot as a shooter this year, like undeniably. Ton. Ton, yeah. But like you remember rookie year, Josh Giddy, like he was thinking faster than anybody on the court. Uh, I think, I think AB has like a lot of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Like he'll, he'll do similar things in terms of like thinking the game faster than everybody else. Yeah. The shooting is a real concern. And I think that Mm -hmm. to play as like an off ball player, you really have to be able to shoot on some level. Now, AB is going to move the ball so quickly, like similar to Josh, like the Thunder's offense was never bad with Josh Giddy out there because Mm -hmm. Josh is so quick in terms of like processing what's happening around him. Yep. Anthony Black on the rims too. Yeah. Yeah. And like Anthony Black is similar in terms of he will put pressure on the rim. He's a little bit smaller than Josh, which is a little bit of a concern for me. I think Josh is probably a slightly better prospect um, because of that. And because of the yeah. shooting touch, I think Josh's shooting touch is just a little bit better. Okay. But he has that similar thing with Josh Giddy to where he is processing things like full seconds before they happen. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you've watched Josh even more than I have, but like when you watch him, it's just like, incredibly it's ridiculous in terms of the way he thinks the game right yeah so yeah it's it it, uh will end up becoming a guy that people get compared to a lot just because he's so unusual giddy you know it's similar to draymond because there wasn't like necessarily like the exact draymond comparison until there was draymond and now it's like okay now we can compare all these guys that can defend and pass and aren't the greatest scorers in the world to draymond and now it's like, okay, now we can compare like these high level big guards to Josh Giddy. And yeah. I actually think it's a fair comparison for Anthony Black. I just think he's going to be yeah. good. I just think he's going to figure it out. Maybe he's not an all star level player, but I just think he's going to be a guy that figures out how to play in the NBA and play for somebody. Also, just the dude just wants to win so badly. And I think like that's just such a great quality in an NBA player. Um, so I'm I'm just in. I'm in on him in almost any situation. Yeah, I think that most of the guys that will get compared to Josh in the future, it's going to be absolutely absurd. Yeah. I think Anthony Black, particularly in terms of the way that he is not just like a good passer on the ball, but also a great passer like as a connector and like an, yeah. an immediate passing like you know, a reader off the ball of what's happening around him constantly being Mm -hmm. able to pass off the ball and on the ball are like totally different things, right? Like Russell Westbrook pounds the ball into the dirt and then, you know, makes these high level passes. And I wouldn't say Russ is a bad passer. He's a great passer, but it's a different style offense when Russ is dominating the ball in that way. Yeah. Anthony black doesn't have to do that to get assists and same with Josh. Yeah, you play one way when you play with Russell Westbrook. You can play lots of ways with Giddy and with Anthony Black. Yeah. I agree. Yep. Okay, let's start to rapid fire a little bit so we can get through as many prospects as possible. Um, Taylor Hendricks, 
Is he more than just a high-level role player who is like a weak side shot blocker, defender, and shooter? What I would say is his route to being a higher level player than that is improving as a ball handler and improving as somebody who can make passing reads. And I'm a little bit skeptical of that, but even if it doesn't happen, I think he's going to be an awesome basketball player that Mm -hmm. really helps you win games at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Grady Dick, can Grady Dick defend at the NBA level enough to be able to stay on the court in like closing type moments? Uh, to stay on the court, probably, I think. Okay. Uh, I don't okay. know about probably. Maybe. Uh, the, the big question that I'm trying to figure out right now is how good of a shooter is Grady Dick? Is he okay. like, he needs to be like 40 to 45%, right? Yeah. Or is he... 38 to 40 percent you know what i mean Mm -hmm. if he's that the rest of the skill set's a little bit less interesting if he's a 42 percent three-point shooter sniper which i think is very possible um yeah i'm a lot more intrigued okay uh casein wallace can he be a lead ball handler do you consider drew holiday to be the bucks lead ball handler no. Yeah, I, I think it's more like that probably in terms of role. I think Drew's better than he is, first and foremost. I, I want to say mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't love the comparison between the two. I love it on defense. I think Kaysen is that guy on defense. Offensively, yeah. he's just you should do a more- podcast on unfair comparisons all through in, <laughs> through NBA history because that would be another one like Drew Holiday. It's like, oh, man, he's just like Drew Holiday. It's like, well, do we yeah. really understand what Drew Holiday does when we say that? actually a really interesting idea i should try and get the players on the pod maybe and that'd be amazing. say like basically understand what makes you so good uh yeah. and why it's a ridiculous comparison to like, yeah. talk talk about you as being this like can you imagine draymond green like going through all the guys hey yeah uh, pj washington got par- compared to you at one point. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing content that would be amazing content. Yeah. Um, no, can, but like, you know, bring up like, why are you different kind of thing? Yeah. 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 Drew, Drew is a prime example of this. The reason the case is not Drew offensively is because he's boxier through the hips, in my opinion. Okay. And like doesn't uh, move, doesn't shift his hips well enough. Jordan Hawkins. Can, can he, def- similar, can he defend at the NBA level? And is his size going to hinder him in the NBA? Currently, yes, it will. My biggest point of concern with him is trying to maximize the frame kind of in both directions, right? So if you get him stronger, which you need to do to make him good and viable defensively, Mm -hmm. does he lose some of the elusiveness and quickness away from the ball that makes him such a valuable floor spacer who can get three point shots up at volume. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you go the other way and like you keep the frame the way it is because you don't want to lose the three point shooting. Can he defend at all? I think Jordan wants to defend. Like you watch his tape, like he he's aggressive on the ball. It's just that like yeah. he gets blown through his chest, even at the college level. And that's going to happen in the mm-hmm. NBA level. Um, mm-hmm. That's the difference between him being Malik Beasley and being like somebody who's like actually like really valuable. 
uh, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, why is Kobe Bufkin the perfect draft prospect? <laughs> because he's just the most well-rounded of these guards. <laughs> like yeah. we've talked about Anthony Black. Like I think Kobe can really, I think Kobe can pass. He's not as good of a passer as Anthony Black. You know, I yeah. think he can, I think Kobe can shoot probably not as good of shooters, you know, Grady Dick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Kobe can defend probably not as good of a defender as uh, you know, I think off the top of my head is case and Wallace. Right. Yeah. But doesn't take anything off the floor. Yeah. Like doesn't take any, those guys are super, super valuable. The players who don't take anything away from you is a uh, role player in the way that you play. I think it's super valuable. Does he do it all enough at a high level to, to make it because some of these guys get to the NBA and it's like, Oh, they're, they just aren't good enough at one thing to stay. Yeah. On the court. I think yes, because I think he's athletic enough. Okay. It's why, isn't my hi- why isn't he higher than, than some of these guys with questions? I've had him in the lottery like since February, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Why wouldn't I, he be higher than Grady Dick? I have if, him ahead of Grady Dick. <laughs> why wouldn't he be high? Why wouldn't he be higher than Anthony Black? Just because of Anthony Black's like high level defense yeah. and high level passing. So I've actually been thinking about this a little bit. It's a great question. Uh, I think AB is a better processor of the game and a better defender. Uh, I am more questionable. I guess uh, the big thing with Black is the frame. Like Anthony Black yeah. is strong. Like he is physical. Yes. Kobe Bufkin is yes. not that, right? right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. He is finesse. He's like 185 pounds. Kobe Bufkin might be like the lightest player, if I remember correctly, in my top 100 outside of like maybe like one or two guys. I mean, I can look that up just I, while we're talking. I think that I think that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. So him and Jordan Hawkins are both 186 pounds. Uh, okay. Those are the, yeah, those are the lightest guys in my top 150 right now. Or my top 50, not top 150. Jesus Christ. Top 50. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, because it's a podcast and we're talking about the draft, we have to talk about Bilal Kulabali. Um, yeah. The shot. I just want to ask you about the shot itself. Do you think it can get like smoothed out to to where it's like a real weapon in the NBA? Good, yeah, totally, a- absolutely could. I mean, he is somebody that has made shots uh, throughout the course of this year. You know, with Metropolitan, certainly he's just taking them. At, he's taking like one, one and a half of them per game. It's so minimal. Uh, I've mentioned this a couple times on the podcast, but like the reason that this is not like a shoe in as a, you know, surefire top 10 pick. Andrew, you're muted. I know I am. I'm talking to my four-year-old. I'm intentionally I muted and that. I'm talking to my four-year-old on this podcast. <laughs> I love that. Uh, the reason Sorry. that the reason Koulibaly is not like, a, <laughs> you know, guaranteed top 10 pick is because of his, uh, offensive usage right now like his offensive usage with metropolitans up until this osvel series that has like blown him up it's been like isaac okoro level uh like he's taking 5.1 shots per 36 minutes in half court settings right and 
PJ Tucker this year took 4.2. Isaac Okoro took like 5.8. Like it's been in the middle of those two, right? So that's a very low usage player. And him being able to find a way to like make an impact on offense is critical for his NBA success. Uh, Mm -hmm. The shooting is the easiest way to do that, I think. I think I feel pretty okay that he will be a passable shooter at some point. Okay. Um, it might take a year, but I think he will shoot is my opinion on him. I do. I think should, he will shoot. Should he, be a, should he be a lottery pick? I have him. I've said this. I said this on the show two days ago. Uh, I have yeah. him at 12 right now. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty comfortably. A lottery pick. Uh, I'm trying to look and see who else I have questions about. Um, why? Let's see. Why shouldn't Jaime Jaquez be a first round pick? Oh, Andrew. I have Jaime Jaquez at 29. Okay, there makes we go. Me, makes me very happy. Very good. I love him. I, I just love him. Like, I think it's going to work. Like, I, I mean, he's done... From all reports I've gotten, Hawkes has been so good in the pre-draft process. Like has yeah. been awesome so far. Uh, yeah, I, I just I can't I can't not have him in the first. I had him at thirty on the post uh, lottery mock draft. I have him at twenty nine on my final board. I, look, the upside is somewhat limited, but that dude can really just play. That dude really yeah. can just. He knows how to fucking play. And mm-hmm. here's the other thing too. Like since he was a freshman at UCLA, I've been getting reports on like, he's the guy there. Like mm. he's like the leader there. Um, wow. He's he's the yeah. guy that like really like sets the tone. You look at like, mm-hmm. you know, even like the public stuff, like Mick Cronin after um, they lost to Gonzaga in the tournament, like, Mick Cronin is like incapable of bullshit mm-hmm. and you could tell. And like Mick Cronin is like not someone who really gets emotional on stuff. Mm-hmm. You could tell that like he was, he has like real affection for Jaime Hawkes. Wow. And, and like truly like thinks that the reason it's gone so well for him to start his like first four years at UCLA is because he could build around someone like Jaime Hawkes. So, yeah. yeah. Um, Do, we describe big... his game real quick. We describe his game to people that haven't watched him. Yeah, like 6'7", six, 6'6", six, six, like kind of physical wing four man that can really create shots weirdly. Like he has like these big looping crossovers. He plays it like a strange cadence kind of that allows him to separate. Uh, yeah. super processor of the game. I think like passing numbers or like, you know, assist numbers belie his passing ability. I think he can actually like pass at a pretty good level. Um, mm-hmm. just knows how to process the game. A uh, really, really smart team defender, all defense guy, multiple times in the pack 12, um, yep. worry a little bit about how he moves against, you know, the best players in the NBA athletically, but total stud, total stud in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I agree with Dirty Dancer in the comments. He feels like a grizzly in a lot of ways. I would, I would love it if he went to Memphis. I would yeah. love that. <laughs> At 25. Like, that just feels... It. Give it and, to they, him. And, they'll, and they'll reach on players that can play like that. 
you know, they just did. to get, it took David to get Roddy last roster. year, man. <laughs> yeah. Just to get him on the roster. I mean, and I, you know, it kind of ties this back into like beginning of our conversation, but he's somebody that I think could and probably should rise just because he's going to help somebody next season. Like if you're the Warriors and you're like, man, we just need like one more rotation player. 19 feels rich for him, but it's also like, I don't know if you're Golden State, could you trade back like five spots, get like an extra something and draft Jaime Jaquez at 26 or something instead? Well, this is a good way to loop back to our original conversation. So the Warriors particularly have probably been the biggest, the team that should have drafted for role players, but instead chose to draft teenagers team over the last like five years. Uh, The oldest player that they have drafted is... I think Jordan Poole, who turned 20 a week before the draft uh, in the last six years, I think it's something like uh, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, Jordan Poole, Alan Smilagich, uh, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin, and a couple of other guys. Um, All those guys are teenagers at the end of the day. So they just draft teenagers all the time. And, you have Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson draft guys that are good at basketball. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I've got I've got to go because I'm about to go coach eleven uh, year olds basketball, and yeah. they're they're infiltrating my house right now. So I love this. This is great. <laughs> I want to keep going because this is so much fun. Uh, maybe we should do this again with uh, more guys in the first round. So, we'll do it again. This um, is super fun. We'll talk about a bunch of guys in the first round. We'll have a good time. Uh, Andrew, thank you for coming on. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. Andrew, tell people where they can find you every week. Uh, if you are into the thunder at all, you can find me uh, on Down to Dunk. You can also find me on the Athletic NBA show. We, uh, I produce a lot of those shows you can find me on the daily ding for that show and then also listen to the saturday slam and jam with my guy alex spears on saturdays so please uh subscribe also go check out the youtube channel for the athletic nba show something we're trying to grow so do all of that uh i would very much appreciate it go help out andrew andrew is the best we will be back later this week with more i don't know what when the next show will be we will find out until next time though we will talk soon